You guys hear me? Morning, church. How's everybody doing? I see some smiling faces. Uh, it has been an awesome uh, series that we've had uh, as we conclude our, our series on reset. And the whole theme today is to, to reset and reconnect. Now, as many of you know, uh, my wife and I, we work with the college ministry. I love working with the college ministry so much. Um, uh, you know, yesterday, the, the, the men of the college ministry, the North Region, they, they competed in a football tournament that was with L.A. and San Diego Ministries. They went to the championship and finished second. But you know what? Hey, I'm so proud of our guys because we're in the championship every year. We win some, we lose some. But we are a force to be reckoned with at the annual uh, flag football tournament. Uh, it's just a fun time for the guys, you know, that, so if you see any of the college guys walking around a little slower, uh, maybe a few injuries, uh, you know, they, they played their hearts out yesterday. And, um, but I'm so proud of them. But it's awesome to be in campus ministry. One of the things I love is uh, I learn new words. I was uh, hanging out with one of the brothers, and uh, he was leaving, and he said, hey, I got a scrape. I was like, what? What do you have to scrape? And uh, he knows who I The brother's laughing because he knows I'm talking about him. But he, apparently scrape means to leave. That's what it means. If you hear a college guy say, hey, I'm scraping, that means they're leaving probably. So you should say bye to him. I said, all right, well, Bye. You know, there we go. That was it. But um, so it's just kind of funny. Um, you know, when I was reading an article, too, like this week, and, and it actually came up with some new words. It said, Here, here's a few new words to add to your vocabulary. And uh, I did my research. These are not Webster's Dictionary words. These are part of the Urban Dictionary. Uh, but, but I kind of started playing a game as I was reading. I thought we could kind of play a little bit. Okay, and it's where, you know, we're not going to have you shout out, but as I was reading the words, I would read the word, and before I read the definition, I'd try to guess what the word meant, and then read the Urban Dictionary's uh, meaning of it. And so I wanted to, uh, we're going to flip over to the first word. The first word I read was uh, phonesia. Phonesia. So think to yourself, you know, what, is, what does that mean? I put a couple pictures up here to maybe, maybe it can help you, but uh, phonesia. So the Urban Dictionary, it says, phonesia is the affliction, the affliction, it uses that word, the affliction of dialing a phone number and forgetting whom you are calling just as they answer. I know we've all done that where you're calling someone and they're like, hello, and you're like, phonesia, sorry, I don't know who this is. Who, who are you right now? Okay, uh, Bob, we need to talk. <laughs> You know what I mean? Okay, so that was one of the funny ones. Uh, the next one I, I saw was disconfect. Disconfect. I got some gummy bears up there. Because uh, I, when I read that one, I was like, I have no idea. I took like two seconds. I was way off on my guess. But disconfect, what it means is, it says to sterilize a piece of candy you dropped on the floor by blowing on it. There's a word for that. We used to call it the five second rule. Now it's just disconfect. So that, I, you know, I teach my two-year-old son Levi how to disconfect a lot of stuff. He disconfects all the time. 
He doesn't quite know how to blow without spitting, so he just gets germs everywhere, but it's okay. We love him. So disconfect, there's a word for that now. If you drop something, you pick it up and you blow on it, thinking that you're removing all the germs. There we go. Uh, the next word I saw was blame storming. Blame storming. This one, uh, it was pretty kind of easy to guess. Uh, it's just the whole idea of, uh, you know, a lot of you, for, for you that work in offices or in uh, the, the uh, you know, business careers where you're sitting around in a group discussing why a deadline was missed or a project failed and who was responsible. So it's not worried about how to fix it, but we're just trying to find the scapegoat. And that's it. That's blame storming. And so some of us might have experienced that. And then the last one, I know a lot of us are looking forward to. It's almost the end of January. So if you haven't received them already, you're waiting for those W-2s to come in, right? Because we're going to be starting to think about filing our taxes. So the next word is called intoxication <laughs> intoxication and uh this word is is the euphoria at getting a tax refund which lasts until you realize that it was your money to begin with <laughs> that's intoxication so they got a good word for that okay you know and as we're as we're going into uh closing out this series i was kind of thinking like okay okay what do we want to talk about? Reset and reconnect. And, and, and I kept coming back to the same word. And we're just going to spend the rest of our time on grace. Reset and reconnect with grace. Because I think grace is one of those words. It's one of those concepts. It's in the Bible. It's all over the place. I mean, you can't drive around Santa Clarita without seeing somebody hold a sign up or be a billboard about something about grace. And so we might understand it. A little bit, but I, but I really wanted to dive in today to grace and spend a, the, the first part of the sermon actually defining grace. Okay? And so, um, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood. You know that song, I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed. It's a call and response song. I've been redeemed, I've been redeemed by the blood of the, by the blood of the, yeah, there we go. I've been, yeah, there we go. They don't let me sing, so I have to do it when I preach. But, um, it says in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins because of his blood in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And I love this word that he lavished on us. God's grace is so big that there's no real words that can actually describe how big and how great God's grace is. And I love that word lavish on us because because lavish is like it's like it's just excessive. You ever had something lavished on you where you're just like, this is way, way too much. This is way more than I need. When the first word, the first thing I thought about when I thought about lavish, I thought about how much my two-year-old loves to lavish his six-month, my six-month-old with kisses. If you've been around my son Levi, he cannot keep his hands off his little brother. And he just wants to kiss him all the time. And we have to tell him, like, okay, just one more and then you're done. And, you know, but, but he just, he wants to lavish him with love. He loves his little brother. And we're so, we, and, and after that, I think, like, man, I just feel blessed. Because God's given me such beautiful boys. 
And I feel so undeserving of it. I feel like, man, God, you just lavished on me something that, that I just totally don't deserve. And that, that's really what, what grace is. It's, it's this unmerited favor. And it says, it comes through the blood of Jesus. That he's lavished on us. This, the forgiveness of sin. Something that we just totally don't deserve. You know, I want to do a quick Bible study just on grace. Turn over to Titus chapter 2. And you can go to the next slide, Josh. Thank you. We're going to look at a few scriptures that, that, that just talk about grace because, you know, if you're like me, you know, I've been, I've been a disciple almost 10 years. I've grown up around church most of my life and, and I've always heard this word grace. Sometimes I just need to reconnect with it. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And it teaches us to say no. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for sorry, gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So this grace of God this grace has been lavished on us. This forgiveness of sins, he says, it, it is, it's appeared and offers salvation to all people. And, and I love that it says it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. You know, when, when you do some deeper study, really what he's talking about, this whole idea of the grace of God teaching us, it's this, this once and for all action. Where you come in contact with the grace of God, when you come in contact with, with the forgiveness of sins, with, with Jesus on the cross, when you, when you come in contact with all that, and you, you just kind of have to say no. Like, I cannot live the way I've been living any longer. I ha- like, anything that I've been doing that's contrary to God, I've got to turn. I've got to change. His grace is so great. It just teaches me to say no to ungodliness. It teaches me to be like, I'm done. When you get God's grace, when you make that decision, when you say that, when you look there, when you look at your life and you say, I'm over living this way. I'm over living to please myself. I'm done kicking against the goads. Like like Colin talked about. When you just make that decision, when you say, I'm just Done. That's what he's talking about when it says it teaches you. That's why we like to study the Bible. Because when you're studying the Bible and you connect with God's grace and and you're looking at God's grace and you're looking at your sin. And, and, you know, when you really connect with it and see what he's done for you in your life and you look at it and you're like, I have to change. I have to make this decision because look what he's done for me. I have to. You know, when you're going to continue 
You continue to work things out with him, but then but you get to a point where you say you make that decision. You say, no, I'm done. I'm putting my foot down. I'm living a different way. I need to get baptized. I need to get my sins forgiven. I am not okay with where I'm at. I want to live the rest of my life for God. That's what it's teaching us. The grace of God motivates us to make these changes. It motivates us to say no to ungodliness and live a whole new way. I love that he closes out. He says they're eager to do what is good. God's grace makes you eager to do what is good. Uh, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You guys with me? We're reconnected with grace in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes this. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. He said, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. He said, for I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I love Paul's view of grace. Paul mentions grace about a hundred times in the 16 letters that we have in the Bible of his. Paul gets grace and he says, uh, you know, in verse um, 3, he says, For what I received, I passed it on. You know, grace, we learn, is a gift. When you study out the Scriptures, grace is a gift. It's nothing that you can do to get God's grace. It is something that's given. And it's given to you by God, but it's also something that you turn around to give to other people. Because when you're connected with grace, there's this, there's this motivation behind you that's like, I got to pass this on. I got to tell people about it. I got to pass what, what God's done for me. I got to do for others. Does that make sense? That, that was like Paul's motivation. And I love that he gets in there. He's like, for I am the least of all the apostles. And this is kind of like one of those, like, you ever heard of a humble brag? You know, that's kind of how I feel. I'm like, like, Paul, like, are you trying to be humble or braggy? What are you saying here? Like, like, are you really the least? I mean, you're like, when, you, when, you, when, when I say the word apostle, Paul is the very name most of us think of. But he was like, I think he, he lets us into his perspective here. He's like, it's not about me. It's not about my accomplishments. It's not even about my sin. He said, I persecuted the God. I persecuted the church that God had laid out. 
You know, Paul, Paul says, I didn't feel worthy, but I was made worthy by his grace. And he says, and I'm not going to wait on that grace. I'm not going to I'm not going to waste that grace waiting on a feeling. Paul was so inspired by the grace of God that it caused him to do something with his life. That it caused him, I mean, that's what moved him. Many times in the scriptures we see Paul preaching to the churches and he's just saying, I came to you without eloquence. And and all I resolved to know was nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, that's all that mattered. Not my education, not my talents, not the way I speak, not my athletic ability. It was just Jesus and what he did on the cross. He said, that's all that mattered to me. He says, it caused me to work harder than anybody else. And sometimes we miss this point where we think grace is a license to not work hard or to not live the right way. That's how sometimes we think. Go over to Jude chapter 3, or excuse me, verse 3. Jude is one chapter. Jude verse 3 says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write you and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. And deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Even back then, they had this problem where, where people would sneak into the church. And they would say things like, hey, I'm saved by grace. So I can do whatever I want because of it. I can live any way that I want. It's say he's forgiven us of everything so we can just do whatever we want. We can just send it up. Judah's saying that there's people that are changing the message of grace and turning it, turning it into a license of immorality. You know, sometimes, you know, we, we need to be reminded of this, that, that, that God's grace should teach us to say no to ungodliness. That God's grace to, should, should move in us to want to wanna just be like, man, what, what can I do? Who can I talk to? Who can I share my faith with? How can I live my life differently? Like it should just be this motivating, this motivating factor. Like in Romans 2, it talks about God's kindness being something that moves us. Not His fear that moves us all the time. Nobody is motivated by fear for long periods of time. And God knows that. God made us like that. God wants us to be motivated and inspired by His grace that He lavishes on each one of us. And if you're here this morning and you think, well, I, you know, I can, God's forgiven me. God, God gives grace freely, so I can just uh, do whatever I want with that. I think you're misunderstanding grace. Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. So all sinned. All fall short 
And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We can't do anything to get it. And it's free. 2 Corinthians 6.1, I love that. It says, don't receive God's grace in vain. You and I go through this because if you're like me, the definition of grace kind of makes sense. I get it. I grew up going to church most of my life. I've heard grace a lot. You know, but understanding grace to me is a lot like understanding love. Like understanding true love. Like the type of love that I feel with my wife. Like, you could, I could read Webster's Dictionary on love. You know, and see what it says there. I could talk to a neuroscience and he, neuroscientist and he could tell me about all the, the neurons and the things that fire in my brain when I, when I meet that special someone. But if I really want to learn about love, I need to experience true love. And I think that's kind of where I want to shift a little bit because as I was studying out grace, I said, Paul says it about a hundred times. You know how many times Jesus mentions the word grace? One time. And it's in 2 Corinthians when he's talking to Paul and he says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Except the Bible in John chapter 1 verse 14, it says Jesus was full of what? He was full of grace says he was full of grace and full of truth. Like Jesus was the embodiment of grace. He was grace personified. He was the definition of grace. Like when you thought of grace, a living, breathing person of grace, it was Jesus. Jesus never used the word, but, but he was constantly displaying grace in the way that he lived his life. It wasn't something he took advantage of. It was something he gave away. You think about when he went to Matthew, the tax collector. The grace that Jesus gave to him. A guy that was, he, he was like an outcast of society. A known sinner of society. Somebody that an, a, a real Israelite would have looked at as like, you are a traitor to us. And he went to him, and they're probably all lit, trying to figure out what's Jesus going to say to this guy. And Jesus says, come follow me. And he demonstrates grace. Or the woman caught in adultery. She was caught in the act of adultery. And according to the law, you stoned somebody like that. And the people are sitting there with the stones, and they, they start questioning Jesus like, what should we do? And Jesus just looks at him and says, well, the first, you know, if you don't have any sin, cast the first stone. Who the, who would the, he who doesn't have any sin, cast the first stone. And they, one by one, threw their stones down until Jesus was the only one left. And he looked at the woman and he said, do they condemn you? Neither do I. Now go leave your life of sin. Like what grace? What truth? Or I love like just Jesus on the cross. And one of the pictures I, I just always picture, you know, when before Jesus went to the cross, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says something that just, just I can never comprehend. 
Because he says, don't you think I could call down 12 legions of angels? And I just get this picture in my mind that there's just thousands of angels in heaven. In heaven, just battle ready. With their armor on, with their helmets in. Helmets on, with the the shields ready. And and keep in mind, one angel was enough to wipe out an entire city. Uh, You know, Jesus is like, I got thousands ready. All I got to do is say the words. I wonder if he, all he had to do was think the thought. And it was done. Over. And they're just waiting. You get Jesus on the cross. He's been tortured, wrongfully accused, beaten to a point where he doesn't even look like a man. He's got his arms nailed to the cross, his feet nailed to the cross. He, he's struggling to breathe. So much so he only says like six things. And I'm sure every time his mouth opens, the angels are just like, okay, what's he going to, is he going to, is this the moment? We're ready. We're ready to come down there until Jesus looks around the crowd and he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And they experience grace. I think heaven in that moment felt grace. Got to see it. Everybody got to see grace because they're like, he's going to finish this. That was, that's grace. Grace is more than just a definition. It's an experience. It's something that you kind of have to feel. We can sit there and define it all day, but, but you know, there's things that I hear as a minister, things that I've even said that, that, that actually, I think, stop us from feeling this type of grace. And one of the things I hear is, not, what I, not after what I've done. You ever said that? Not after, not after what I've done. I can't, I, can't, I can't feel God's grace. I know for myself, um, if we're going to talk about grace, we've got to be able to share a story. I know for myself, I said this a lot. Growing up, going to church, when I graduated high school, I was given this Bible, and it was a nice little study Bible. And I would, I guess, how would I say this? I knew enough of the Bible to know what not to do. I knew enough of the Bible to know when I was sinning. I know the Bible told me not to drink, not to get drunk. I know the Bible told me not to have sex until I was married. I know the Bible told me to stay away from drugs, to honor my parents, to be respectful of authority. I knew it said all of that stuff. I couldn't tell you the specific verses, but I think just a quick search, I could have found them. Like, and I knew the Bible said that. I also knew the Bible said that, that Jesus died for my sins. And so I was one of those people that, that used grace as a license for immorality. And I knew how to put on the face. The church face, you guys know that face? Some of you probably put that church face on when you walked in a day screaming at the kids in the van to get in. And you walked in and you're like, how are you doing? Hey, you know, like, you know, it's like that's... I knew how to put on the face, you know. But as my life continued to go on, after I moved out of my parents' house and, and just started going down this path of sin that really just 
brought I mean, I grew up in Georgia. And when people ask me, how did you get to California? I was like, well, the short version is I blazed a trail of sin across the country. That, that's really what happened. That's this very short version in one sentence, what I did. And there would be moments where I had this Bible, like I couldn't get rid of the Bible. I just felt too ashamed. I, you know, I felt like, okay, I can't get rid of this Bible that my mom and my dad got me. So I got it. So I kept it. And it just collected dust. And every time I was in the middle of sin, and there, there were moments that I'd be sinning and I would look at it and I would just turn away and just be automatically ashamed. And this Bible just collected dust. About 10 years ago this summer, I got invited to church. And I did what I did. I put on the face. I know what to do. I knew what to do. I showed up. And I was smiling, I was hugging the people, even though I thought it was a little weird that they hugged me, but it was okay, like, uh, there was like some, some cool guys there, there were some cute girls there, so I was like, alright, I like this thing, I'll hug you guys. But, in, the, in my heart, I was ashamed, because I knew what I had done. And I was ready to put up the wall, you know, I was ready to give them the Heisman, like, okay, if you want to really get to know me, like, you don't want to know me, actually. Like, I, you know, I think it took me about four months to even come to church from the first time I, 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 I met the college group because I, I really had this weird thinking that the church is going to burn down if I walk in the doors. Anybody ever thought that? I, I felt like, okay, the church is, I, you know, like, no, they can't handle what I'm about to bring to them. The baggage is going to come. Not after what I've done. Not after all the sin. And it's not just the sin, but it's the sin knowing that I was doing it. And just turning my eyes away. And I remember that moment, some of those moments, I started doing some Bible studies. The guys had convinced me to do some Bible studies. And guys, I was very, very, very far off. The first time I did a Bible study, I thought I was leading it thought I was going to be the one to teach them something. And, and, I, and I didn't bring the dusty Bible because I was too ashamed of it. I went and bought another one. and brought that Bible. And I left the Bible study early because my girlfriend was coming over to spend the night. That's where I was. Slowly started digging deeper into my life. And I remember... Still, like, holding back. Kind of like what Colin was sharing. Like, just kicking against the goes. Like, I, it's not after what I've done. I can't, I can't do this. And there is this moment, Thanksgiving. We were sharing about what God has done in our lives. And we were sharing about just gratitude. And, uh, Wow. I didn't know I was going to tear up, but, uh, you know, I, you couldn't understand a word I said in that, in that discussion that, that we had. Uh, people were sharing about what they're grateful for, and um, I, I just was bawling the whole time. I was trying to say something, but it just sounded like probably just mumble. But I just remember feeling grace. I was bawling when I was sharing about, like, what I was grateful for. The people in the room were kind of bawling. They were like, 
you, you could just feel them, I could just feel them with me. And for the first time, I stopped thinking, not after what I've done. I started thinking, well, God's grace is greater than what I've done. It's greater. I felt that from people, and then I felt that from God. I think a week after that, I was baptized. Um, you know, I hear people say this too, not after what I've done, but they also say, not after what's been done to me. I get the idea of grace for me. I like grace for me. I like that idea, but, but, but there's people in my life that, that I'm not sure I can give it to. I'm not sure about that because they've taken something from me. They've, they owe me a marriage. They owe me a childhood. They owe me, at the very least, an explanation. And you're stuck in this place of bitterness and anger because you've lost sight of grace a little bit. For myself, after I got baptized, it wasn't over. Like I, there, there was still something in my heart that, that was causing a lot of bitterness. And it was actually all, all focused on my dad. And to make a long story short, when I was 20 years old, my dad uh, ended up in a tumor. Uh, not a tumor. He ended up in a coma for about 30 days. Had a tumor, multiple, a tumor on his brain. Uh, he had multiple strokes in that moment. Ended up having long-term and short-term memory loss. Went blind in one eye, 90% in another eye. And this, he was a businessman, he was a father of four, and he got relegated to, the, to pretty much the same position of a five-year-old. That, that's kind of where his brain was and where he functioned. But he still had, you know, his he, 45-year-old man. And what started coming out, you know, my dad was kind of an angry man anyways. We had a lot of holes in the walls at our house. But you wouldn't see them because at the house that we had picture frames over them. They were just like, why is that picture frame so close to the doorway? <laughs> some of you might have some holes behind some picture frames. I don't know. But uh, we had about five of them in our house. He was an angry man, but he, but he you know, and he would say things to us, but, but he, he typically kept it in. But we knew he was angry. But after he went through the trauma, it came out. Like a five-year-old doesn't hold anything back. They just say whatever's on their heart. The thing is, five-year-olds are pure and innocent. My dad wasn't. And some of the stuff that came out, like, it was so hard for us to hear. And, and I developed this bitterness because I said, wow, like, so that's what's been in there. So after I became a Christian, I, I felt like, man, like, that, what? That's how you feel about us? And I can't repeat what he said, but it was bad, really bad. I've had family members that have had to go through some therapy, still going through grief about it. But, but I remember, I was like, okay, the Bible says I've got to forgive. That, that if I can't forgive him, there's no forgiveness left for me. Like, I've got to forgive him. I've got to figure this out. So I had to talk to some people and, and deal with that. Because, because I felt like not after what's been done to me, like I understand grace for me. I get that. I was so grateful for that. But, but what about him? I don't know. Because I cannot talk to him. We can't have a conversation about this. That, that, that ship has sailed. We can't fix this relationship. Because he couldn't handle it. And I remember some of the input that, that was given to me and I thought it was weird, but I was like, I'm going to do it. 
I just want you to write a letter. Somebody told me, you need to write a letter to your dad. And go find somewhere and read it. Read it loud. Read it with all your might. Pray. Do whatever you got to do. And I did that. Weeping. Pouring my heart out. I burned the letter. And I felt at peace. You know, if that's you this morning where you're like, I, I understand God's grace, but, but not after... I understand it for me, but not after what's been done to me. Like, I want to challenge you. Get help with that. Talk to someone about it. The last thing that I hear is not after what my life has become. My life, I've just stunk it up. Aaron, I appreciate you talking about grace this morning, but I wish I would have heard this 20 years ago. Because I've done too much bad. There's no more room. There's no, more, there's no way that I can change now. It's too late. My life's a wreck. I'm stuck. Maybe you feel that this morning. I want to show a clip at the end of the movie, The Bucket List. And Edward, uh, played by Jack Nicholson, he, he receives this letter, but... but Edward is a guy that, that, that's living with a regret. And he's been living with one for a really long time. He's had, he, he's kind of been just kind of a wild man his whole life. He's got a lot of money and he plays with it a lot. But he's been deeply hurt. And he has deeply hurt his daughter. Because she, she disowned him because he drove her husband away. And I want to watch like the, the one of the ending scenes here uh, to this movie.